welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca backtrack in time to explore some of the more famous and infamous events etched in Limestone County's rich history. Welcome back to Homegrown History. I'm Rebecca Davis. I'm the archivist at the Limestone County Archives, and I'm here with my friend... Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right. Not the oldest one in Athens, but Richard is our local history guru who's going to tell me what I really should know behind the stories from the Limestone County Archives that I've been studying and learning for the past several years. So when we left off at the last episode, we were talking about Limestone County before it was actually established to become Limestone County. And when we left, we were sitting in Elk County, weren't we? That's right. And so Elk County was established in 1817 as part of the Mississippi Territory. And it was only about nine months before it became uh, Limestone County. So today we want to talk about how Limestone County got its start Athens, Morrisville, some of these really early, older uh, communities, and also some of the notable characters that were living there and making history. Limestone County is the only county in the state that's not named after anybody. That's right. Tell them a little bit about that. We're named after, you know, the creeks, the bottom of the creeks of limestone. So... Aimed though we are the smallest county in the state land-wise, but we're not named after anybody. That's right. It's interesting to me that from Elk County to Limestone County, it was named for some of our beautiful natural features, which I think is appropriate for the most beautiful county in Alabama, don't you? Yes, ma'am. We're not biased, though. No, not at all. (laughs) So Limestone County was actually established by the Alabama Territory before Alabama became a state in 1819. The... Alabama Territory established Limestone County on February 6th, 1818. There's about seven counties that's established. Right. And in fact, Lauderdale and Limestone County, you could kind of say they're twin counties mm-hmm. because Elk County encompassed all of Limestone and Lauderdale. Oh, right. Um, it had been the old Chickasaw line. Boundary line. Yeah, boundary line. And so the legislature split it in two to make Lauderdale and Limestone and, um, Several other North Alabama counties were created at that same time. Uh, Morgan County, Blount County, Tuscaloosa County, Lawrence County, and Marengo down in South Alabama were all created on the same day as Limestone. So we share a big birthday. Uh, all celebrated our big birthday two years ago, didn't we? Three yes, years ago now. Three years ago. That's right, uh, 2018. And so a couple days later, they had the land sales for Limestone County in Huntsville. And the very first deed and the very first book in, in the Limestone County Archives has the deed for the city of Athens, Ooh. where Robert Beatty and John Carroll got together and with several other wealthy developers, John Coffey, John Reed was mm-hmm. one of them. John Coffey was one of Andrew Jackson's favorite soldiers. Oh, was he? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and John Reed is the only one that we actually have an original portrait of Mm -hmm. um, at the Limestone County Archives. His descendants, back during uh, the 200th birthday, donated this oil portrait of John Reed. So if you want to see what our town founder looks like, his eyeballs will follow you all over the exhibit space at the Limestone County Archives. So... um, When the Limestone County land sales opened up, it was Alabama fever big time. Big time. You know, so basically, whenever the Chickasaws gave up their right to the land, 
People poured in from everywhere. Over the Appalachians, revolutionary soldiers getting their pension land and so on. And the land in Limestone County was selling for some of it as little as $2 an acre. You could put 10 cents an acre down and finance it. And so there were so many people who came flooding into Huntsville to buy land that there was no room left at the ends. All the banks ran out of cash on hand because it was just everybody was grabbing up land. In Athens, it was about, I think it was $50 an acre that they charged. So that was, you know, prime development in the town. In fact, whenever that land was purchased, they bought 192 acres, big square of ground, for $50 an acre. So $9,594 was the selling price for the whole town. I didn't know that. (laughs) I wonder how much land you can buy in Athens now in 2021 for $9,594. A quarter of an acre. (laughs) If that, if that, that. you certainly couldn't buy it with anything on sitting on it, could you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what kind of what got the start. And then as the county was being established, they had to set a county seat and so, and county commissioners. So funny story about the first county commissioners. These were some of our founders, right? The upstanding people of Limestone County of the day. One of them was named Robert Pollock. And while he was in office, he and his son were indicted for the murder of a guy here in the county. And uh, they were put in jail. And before they could ever make it to trial, they skipped bail, fled the county. And the last anybody ever heard from them, they were established as pirates on an island in the middle of the Mississippi River. (laughs) You know, not all of our first politicians were the fine, upstanding character we know all of our politicians to be today. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So once the county commissioners established the county seat, they had a big vote for it, and Athens won by one vote. You know what the other two communities were that could have been our county seat? English Village. English Springs, yep. English Springs, and... uh, I'll give you a hint. There was a church and a battlefield there. Cambridge. Cambridge. Cambridge, Cambridge. yep. Where was English's uh, spring at? It's out on Highway 31 where the prior home is now. You'll see a big spring there. There was the... Harris Place at that time. That's right, down in Tanner. So we could be sitting down in the middle of Tanner right now, a little close to the river, but instead we're sitting in the Athens Limestone Public Library. And so Athens became the county seat by one vote. And then, of course, you had to have a courthouse. You had to have a seat of government. So the county commissioners cut down the trees to clear the square. The square is now where it has always been, right there in the heart of the community, If you ever want to make people mad, just mess with anything on the square, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Another reason why that Athens was so powerful is because of the spring we have. The spring let out water. And as you go down and see the spring now, you still see all the water bubbling out as of today. So that's been going on for 200 and something years. That's right. That we know of. But what everybody calls the duck pond. Duck pond. It was the big spring. Big spring. And that was the big draw. That's where mm-hmm. the natives came. That's where the first settlers came. And also, what did y'all use it for when you were growing we, up? We uh, baptized everybody in it. 
<laughs> I didn't know about that. They yeah, used to baptize everybody in the spring. Yeah, that's back then. That's why they had the outdoor churches. Ain't nobody had no church buildings in, so they meet at the spring. Oh yeah, you're talking about way back in the day. Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, y'all used to swim in the oh, city yeah. pool there, yeah. though. Yeah, the WPA came in, built a swimming pool, and then on Sunday they let the water. It was so cold. <laughs> you jump in, and goosebumps jump all over you. It was, <laughs> it was the Tuesday before it warmed up, but then they take it out Wednesday night, and then the same thing. But anyway, we used that spring water for city pool. That's right. It was it was used for a drinking water source from time to time over the years, and and the pools. So that's kind of what was the draw there in Athens. And uh, so the county, they cleared the square. They used the trees and around to build the first courthouse out of logs. And unfortunately, the Limestone County Archives record book in which someone actually drew, so like sketched what that first courthouse was going to look like, over the years, someone ripped the pages out. So all we have is a little scrap but you can see where one of the early commissioners actually was drawing out what they wanted that first courthouse to look like. So they built this courthouse there on the square. And at the time, the square had six taverns and no churches all around the square. There were a couple people who lived there. I know there was one lady, um, Miss Matthews, who lived there who made cakes and sold them out her window because one of the men who later went on to be an Athens City Council person got in trouble as a little boy because he stole one of the cakes out of the window. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. <laughs> and so the people who lived there at the time, they'd have dog and bear fights out on the courthouse lawn, you know, catch a bear out in the woods, you know, chain him up with a bunch of dogs and fight to the death. I mean, it was brutal. And like cock fights, they had those out on the square. And horse races, Nick Davis, that Nick Davis Road is named after, he had horses and he and his cronies would all come into town you know he was big in Alabama state politics you could probably talk about that here in a minute but he'd bring in all his cronies and they'd race from his place out in East Limestone around the square and back so everybody would bet jugs of whiskey on the winnings because if you think Limestone County has ever been dry you got another thing coming <laughs> that's right this whole place was was powered by rocket fuel back in the day right <laughs> and i'm not talking about the arsenal no. but they would bet jugs of whiskey on the winnings and of yeah. course everybody would get to gambling and fighting and drinking and kicking and a gouging in the mud and the blood and the beer so it wasn't too long before the county outgrew the little jail there on the little log jail there on the square and so had to build a new brick jail. So the county sold the older jail to a local guy, same guy who started the first school in Limestone County, by the way. I think it's Patterson was his name. And he moved that jail from one side of the square to the other, and he used it to house his pet panthers that he caught out in the woods out there. So if you think Athens is a boring place and there's nothing to do, you should have just been here 200 years ago. Go to the tavern and go say hey to the Panthers up on the square. <laughs> but we did have our circuit riders that come in, the Baptists and the Methodists and I think the Presbyterian too. And so to calm them down some, but That's anyway. right. Well, because you know, if there's going to be drinking and all that going on, you're going to have people preaching against it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so tell a little bit. I know you're a longtime member of First United Methodist Church of Athens. Yeah. And now that's not the oldest church no, in Athens. Right. It's it's pretty close. Right. Round Island Baptist Round Church. Round Island Baptist Church is our first known church to establish in Athens. Uh, 1817. Yeah. yeah. And then... 
we established through uh, circuit riders, and then we met at Big Spring Park, and then the Baptists built them a meeting house, and we met some in there. And then you're saying what you're talking about at the time Methodist. was called Methodist Episcopal, wasn't right. it? Right. Then the Masons built the lodge, and we met there until it was 1920 something before we built our church. So we met there. And actually, the uh, Methodist Church just celebrated its 200th not 200th too long ago. Mm-hmm. Last year. And you've been working on a history. Yeah. You and several other people have been working on a history. Is it finished? It's finished. We've mm-hmm. got a book, and we did such a good job, we left off all the preacher's names. <laughs> so we've got to get a gummy and put it in there and do that. So we, we're taking care of that. So, yes, yeah, so that's available at the Methodist Church if somebody wants one of those books. Yes. Maybe we should do another episode later about Methodists. And, our our churches. Yeah, all the churches. Yeah. So, Robert Donnell, he was a Presbyterian. That's right. Who came in. He was a circuit rider. Right. Big in Mooresville. Mm-hmm. He was became a very well-known, well-beloved preacher down in Mooresville. Mm-hmm. But now he built his house here up in Athens. Yeah. And so, if you go to the old... Old high school slash middle school slash elementary school right. slash over there on Clinton and Forest, and you see that old, beautiful old home back behind there. That was Robert Donald's home. And in fact, a lot of the homes that were built in Athens during that very first few years of the county's establishment and that were built in Athens and Limestone right. County are still standing. That's right. You know, Robert Beatty's home, mm-hmm. uh, he was one of the town founders, and his home. The, it was the Athens State President's home until just recently. And uh, Belmina, I know we mentioned that yeah. um, at, in a previous episode. Uh, it was Bell Manor, Thomas yeah. Bibbs' home until until uh, everybody kind of started calling it the Belmina. Which that brings me to some of the notable people of Limestone County history. Mm-hmm. And so you've got like, well, Samuel Tanner, he was the yeah. first... First mayor. His house is still standing. Is in the he Houston the one District. who ran for vice president? No, that was his son, John. Oh, okay. His son, John, was the only vice presidential candidate ever from uh, Limestone, Limestone County. County. He ran on the prohibitionist ticket, That's of course, right. like a good Limestone County right. Baptist or whatever he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, you know, those homes are still standing in the Houston District, but Thomas Bibb. Yeah. So he was one of three governors that have hailed from Limestone County. He right. was the first. And he was the second governor of Alabama only for about a year. Right. Because his brother, William Wyatt Bibb, was the first governor of Alabama and fell off a horse. And right. it ended up killing him. And so Thomas was elected governor. And, um, of course, he had his country home over in Belmina. Mm-hmm. And he was a big banker and land developer in Huntsville and all. They originally from Virginia. And one of his claims to fame, he didn't have a super notable governorship, but he helped try to establish the Alabama State Bank. Because uh, about once every, what, 100 years or so, the economy completely tanks. Yeah. <laughs> or we have a big pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's usually around the 20s. So yeah. uh, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> And, um, you know, in that uh, economic panic of 1819, when mm-hmm. Alabama was a brand new state, 1819 into the 1820s, he was working to build those banks. And then the 12th governor of Alabama mm-hmm. was Joshua Martin, right. who lived over on what is now Houston Street. Right. And he was only governor from 1845 to 1847, mm-hmm. but he had two claims to fame. One was that he tried to dismantle the state bank. 
About 20 years after the economic recession, uh, folks in Alabama decided they didn't want to have a state bank. And uh, also, he oversaw the move of the capital from Tuscaloosa to Montgomery. Right. So, interesting enough, Bibb oversaw the move from Huntsville to Catawba. That's right. So, yeah, you know, they had their moments. And then George Houston was the third governor from Limestone County. He was born before the Civil War, but he was not elected governor until after the Civil War. We'll have to talk about him a little bit more when we get to that that point in Limestone County history. But one of the things that Martin oversaw was Alabama's involvement in the Mexican-American War. Yeah, the American-Mexican War was in 1845, and the boys from Athens all got together around the courthouse square on the 16th of April, 1847, and that's 174 years ago. Good grief. But Captain Higgins started this Company Elf, 13th Regiment of the U.S. Infantry, and they all, the band came up there, and they were ready to leave, so they marched out of Athens down, going Washington Street, climbing the hill, and the band stayed with them till they got to what we call the Wellness Center today. And then the band stopped there, and then the soldiers kept marching all the way to Florence, and then they got on a barge there and went on down to uh, New Orleans. And, of course, the muscle shows stopped you from getting down the river some, so that's mm-hmm. the reason they had to walk to Florence. Yeah. Um, in fact, that reminds me of one of the early towns that I didn't mention that had the Higgins connection, Cottonport. Oh, yeah. When you say Higgins Company, that was Hiram, right? Yeah. So Hiram Higgins really left his mark on Limestone County right. um, that you can still see today. Now, Cottonport was one of the things that's no longer there, but I think Cottonport's an interesting story. Yes, it so is. So Cottonport was down by Mooresville, close to Mooresville, where Limestone Creek empties out into the Tennessee River. And for a very brief and shining moment, it was a very important place. Because, as you mentioned, before the rivers were dammed in the early uh, 20th century, you couldn't get over the shoals in a barge or a boat, much of anything besides a flatboat, unless it was the spring and the rivers were up. And so, of course, everybody harvested their cotton in the fall and had to wait for the spring to get over the shoals. So Cottonport was built up as storehouses for cotton. And then, of course, it ended up being not just cotton. It was all kinds of supplies that would come down the river for these early settlers. I mean, everything from flour and bacon and taters and onions, you know, southern cooking, to furniture, spinning wheels, looms, all of that stuff, cider, whiskey, of course. We can't make your own whiskey all the time. Sometimes you want some good scotch whiskey, right? (laughs) (laughs) Coming down the river. And so they would store it there over winter until the rivers rose and then send it on down. And so what built up Cottonport was transportation. What really undid Cottonport was transportation. transportation. Because once the railroads come in, which we'll talk about that in a minute, then there wasn't as much of a need to get it everything down the river. You could go over land and maybe get back on the river, but you could get past the shoals that way. But now Cottonport, I think, is interesting. For one thing, Hiram Higgins, right. he built the first brick building there in the county in 1818 mm-hmm. with 400,000 handmade bricks. Goodness gracious. Can you imagine? Great. And, of course, as you can imagine, 
Most of that was done by slave labor. Right. Because when we start talking about the golden days of early limestone county, it wasn't golden for everybody, was That's it? That's right. It was. Uh, by 1860, there were actually more slaves than free in right. limestone county. Right. The slave population was over 8,000. That's right. The free population was free. And by free, I mean white. Right. Because there were... A few free black people, right. but for the most part, they were slaves. And uh, yeah, there was under 8,000. I may not have my numbers exactly it's correct, back, but, right. but it was more slave than free. Mm-hmm. And so much of what you see of these beautiful buildings, slave labor was involved. That's right. And I know we're going to talk soon with Dr. Joyner about the history of Athens State, and we'll go into this more detail, but uh, Hiram Higgins also designed Founders Hall. which is still um, with us today. And so he he really left his mark on the county. Uh, Cottonport, I think, is an interesting story, though, because between the trains coming along and there not being as much of a need anymore, and then malaria, which broke out in the late 1800s, it just, it was bad there, down on the river in the swamps. I mean, it's still swampy. You're talking about Wheeler Wildlife Refuge area now. And eventually just had to be basically abandoned. Abandoned. And now it's underwater right. for the most part. I-65 runs right through the middle of it. And that's an interesting postscript. That's Do right. you remember when they found that graveyard? I, Tell about that. They found the graveyard at Cottonport, so they had to go in and dig them all up and transplant them somewhere else. Yeah, Do they're you know over where? in Madison County. I can't remember off the top of my head which cemetery, but do you remember hearing in the news at that time about the glass front coffin that was in among all of that? I remember. Yes, I do now. Yes. Yeah. Tell about that. When they unearthed the Cottonport Cemetery, there there was one reminder of Cottonport's very wealthy glory days. There was, it was, I believe it was an iron casket with a glass front, and inside was a man, you know, what was left, the remains of a man, but had a very large diamond brooch, you know, on his lapel that he was buried in. That's awful. They buried him in that. I know it, right? Somebody should have kept that. So, but that all got reinterred over in Madison County. Yeah. So, Cottonport was, you know, pretty well known and established briefly and um, was a place for the wealthy. But uh, all over Limestone County, where you've got the creeks and the springs and so on, you've got places where the wealthy used to congregate. And one of those was Woolly Springs. So Woolly Springs, uh, you might be hard-pressed to find the actual spring now, but in 1820, Joel Woolley moved here from North Carolina and he had set up in the northeast part of the county and he had his land and he noticed that his cattle were getting really nice and fat and plump on whatever it was they were eating and drinking. And, and uh, it was actually one of his um, slaves that he had there, a young girl. She said, well, I think it has something to do with this water they're drinking. She said, it smells awful, but they seem to be real healthy. And so sure enough, it was sulfur, sulfur springs, man. Don't you love that sulfur smell? Uh, it smells horrible. <laughs> Rotten eggs, right. pretty much. And so this was during a day and time when people would travel for miles around to soak in the springs because they thought, you know, it had healing powers. So he's like, oh, he's, he realized he was sitting on a gold mine. And um, so he built a hotel on the spot, Woolly Springs Hotel. And then people would come in from miles around to soak in the springs and the Dining table there was really well known. They had country cured ham. Of course, you know, back then everybody raised and slaughtered their own hogs. That's right. We got pictures of the archives of hog slaughters. Everybody's in their Sunday bonnets and everything. And um, 
fried chicken and fresh homegrown vegetables and fruits and pies and cakes. And uh, they would have drinking contests for the sulfur water. Oh, God. And one winner beat her competitor by one pint. She guzzled down three gallons plus a pint of sulfur water in one day. Mm, She had to have something in it other than sulfur. (laughs) I don't know. I don't envy her belly the next day. But but that hotel was in business for years and years. Oh, here comes a train. We'll be talking about that here in a minute. But it was in business for years and years. And then there was another Millhouse Hotel there later on until, oh, early early 20th century until finally it was there's nothing there now not a thing some churches and houses and more cows i guess i wonder if the cows are still fat and healthy up through there i've been there last year and there's water still coming out in one place and a family does own that place a plot of land and they're kind of proud of it yeah so it's beautiful can you still uh smell the sulfur no couldn't huh. couldn't smell that's so, interesting, isn't mm-hmm. it? I wonder if it's just because the water table has changed over the years. And, Probably has. And so on. Well, that kind of brings us to one more thing that we wanted to talk about as far as some of the big notable events of Limestone County history before the Civil War. Right. And that's the train. Train. And uh, where we're recording is right by the train tracks, so you hear it come through here. And, of course, at the Limestone County Archives we do. But the train was a major, major upgrade for Limestone County. It changed everything. It did. It took us out of poverty. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, because before then, there was a... Well, there's still a huge political divide in a lot of ways between North Alabama and South Alabama. But the geopolitical divide. But it was much more pronounced back then because it took three days to get to Montgomery from Limestone County, going on horseback and so on. And so it was a big deal. So Luke Pryor and Thomas Hobbs were two local guys who really were in favor of the train. That's right. And they wanted to see it come through, but it was going to take... Money, money, money. Money, money, money. $200,000 tax bill to raise the funds to get it to run through. So they had to talk it up big time. Big time. And they went to every little wide spot in the road to talk up the train and get people to vote for it. We actually, at the Limestone County Archives, Luke Pryor's great-great-grandson, everybody called him Little Luke, Luke Pryor V, he actually gave the Limestone County Archives an original poster he found in a desk drawer there at the Pryor Plantation of one of the original posters that they tacked to the trees to let people know about railroad meetings that were coming up in 1854. You know, places you might have heard of, of course, Athens, Morrisville, places like that, but also places like Lucky Hit and um, Thompson's Muster Ground, I think, and different places that there's no telling where those are now. That's right. But I do know Lucky Hit is out at Clements area towards uh, Lucy's Branch. Coxie's out there. Yeah, lots of Coxies out there. The community was actually called Coxie. So they went around and they drummed up the support. Well, the legislature passed the bill and the governor, V. Winston, Winston County's name for him. Yeah. He was the veto governor. That's right. He vetoed it. But Pryor and Hobbs, they were able to drum up enough support to override the veto. Right. And in fact, there was even, even the ladies got involved. I remember seeing an old ad in one of the old newspapers. It was taken out by, quote unquote, many ladies. Right. And it said, uh, 
you know, we ladies normally like to keep our interest to home and hearth, but we really need a railroad, and we support this railroad. That's right. <laughs> they want to get out of town is what they want to do. <laughs> That's I'm right. Going to Nashville. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so, sure enough, it passed, and the first railroad line in Limestone County was laid in April 1858. The first train ran by June. Think about that. 1858 technology, and they had that train running within just a few months. And you know what the name of the first um, engine. engine was called? Yes, ma'am. Luke Pryor. That's right. It was named Luke Pryor after Luke. For all the work he did. That's right. And Luke was always a big railroad aficionado. Right. Of course, he was a senator, state yeah. senator, and he, he became right. U.S. senator. At Later Virginia, on, mm-hmm. after Houston died. So he was a big railroad man. He loved it. When his daughter, Memory, got married, the railroad let him borrow a locomotive headlight, and he used it to light up Jefferson Street all the way from his house to the square so that all the attendees of the wedding could come and go and see what they were doing and party all night. And you can see his home. It's on the corner of Pryor Street, of course, and Jefferson Street. It's uh, antebellum looking with the arches, and it's a big white home with the cupola on top. But where that house is, there was no other houses from that house to the railroad. So uh, in 1859, year after the railroad was built, his mother moved in with him. She was elderly by then, you know, and she was living with him, and He owned the property all the way down to the railroad. One day he came home and he said, Hey, Mama, I sold some land to Haywood Jones, my buddy Haywood. He wants to build a house between here and the railroad. She goes, Oh, you mean I won't be able to sit on the front porch and watch the railroad, the trains go by anymore? And he goes, No, Mama, I'm afraid not. There's going to be a house there. She's like, Don't do it. Tell him you can't sell it. You got to go back and get that land back. And so sure enough, this is two of the most powerful men in Athens. And... (laughs) Pryor went back to Haywood and said, Mama said I can't sell the land to you. Give it back. And he did. (laughs) Never did sell that land until after uh, Mama was gone. (laughs) Right. Something. So you grew up with the trains still stopping in Athens, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, as kids growing up, there was a train that came about 1030 every morning called the Pan American. And it was going north. And that's how you go to Nashville. Well, that same train would come back about 6 o'clock at night, coming back from Nashville, going to Birmingham. And then there was one at lunchtime. And then there was what we call the hummingbird. Mm -hmm. It didn't stop here. It stopped in Decatur. But it came through about 10 o'clock at night. So we always knew kind of what time it was through all the trains, passenger trains coming through town. They were those big steam engines that had, you know, the steam and... When they'd stop, they'd spew steam out, and you could see the firemen throwing coal in it and getting ready to send it off again. So it was fascinating for us young kids. Mm-hmm. Did you take the train on any memorable trips? We, uh, Yeah. Uh, I took a train ride from Decatur, Alabama to Tacoma, Washington. It took us two days, but anyway, we had a good time. Wow. When was that? That was in 1960. I was in the Army. I had, that's, I had to go. <laughs> so I had to go there, but... Train rides were they're wonderful and they're a good way to see our country. That's right. I would say I wish the train still stopped in Athens, but then we wouldn't have the archives of the right. old train depot, right. would we? That's right. 
our building was built in 1905, and of course now the the interstates are the big draw for draw, industry and right. people and so on. But before that, it was the train, and before that, it was the river. The ladies would uh, get on the train in the mornings, like that Pan American, and eat breakfast on the train, and then go to Nashville and shop that morning and that afternoon, and then again get back on the train about 4 o'clock that afternoon in Nashville and eat supper and then get on home and come home with their goods, and, you know, everybody had a good time. Sounds like the most fun ladies' day ever. That's right. (laughs) Well, and so that kind of brings us to, you know, the train coming through really right. marked a turning point in Limestone County history to a more industrial, you know, transportation, but also that put Limestone County in prime position to be a hotbed of activity for the Civil War. Right. And, um, and battles fought over control of right. the railroad. And that's why we had so much right here in our, our county. And that is something that we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. Okay. And in fact, it may take more than one episode to talk right. a little bit about Limestone County's involvement in the Civil War. And, and of course, the trains, you right. know, you got the Battle of Sulphur Creek Trestle and, it was a major, major artery oh, to get things to yeah. the headquarters in Nashville mm-hmm. and beyond, out to Atlanta and yeah. so on. So, yeah, that kind of gets us through some of those early days of Limestone County history. And um, anything else you could think of? that you Now, your family came here during those early times, didn't you? My mother's side of the family came in in 1818. Mm-hmm. They came to Athens and stayed here in Athens till the 1840s. And then they moved to Mooresville. And then they stayed in Mooresville till about after the Civil War. And then after the Civil War, they came back to Athens. And then my father's family didn't come down until 1916 uh-huh. from Tennessee. So they're just Johnny-come-lately. Johnny-come-lately. Right. <laughs> Thank God. Hey, you know how it is in Athens. Everybody right. wants to know what's your name, who's right. your daddy, where right. you from, how long you been here. Right. And if you've been here anything less than three or four generations, you're a Johnny-come-lately, aren't right. you? That's right. <laughs> Okay. Well, all right. I think that gets us through to uh, the end of the early days of Limestone County history, right. don't you? Yes, that's good. All right. Well, I'm Rebecca signing off. I'm Richard Martin. Glad and to uh, talk. yeah, we'll join you next time for the next episode of Homegrown History. You've been listening to Homegrown History, a podcast produced by the Athens Limestone County Public Library in cooperation with the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. Join us next time as we explore the yesterdays that have made Limestone County what it is today. For more information, please visit the archive website at limestonecounty-al.gov. To hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens Limestone County Public Library's website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 